Hi, everyone. Welcome to 16 Minutes, our show where we tease apart what's hype, what's real with various tech trends in the headlines and where we are on the long arc of innovation. I'm your host, Sonal. And given recent buzz and ongoing debates around the Endless Frontiers Act, which some have described as, quote, the most important piece of legislation no one's heard of, this episode is a rerun of an episode from last year, recorded after said act was initially unveiled. The short discussion, the show is called 16 Minutes after all, covers the broader topic and theme of funding science and innovation and how R&D works in general. By R&D, we mean research and development, not just in government agencies, but corporations and the overall landscape there as well. Notably, the name of the Endless Frontiers Act was inspired by the famous memo, quote, science, the Endless Frontier, which was a report to the then U.S. president by Van Arvar Bush, who was director of the Office of Scientific Research and Development in July 1945. And that memo led to the creation of the National Science Foundation, or NSF, an independent government agency. For quick context and without covering current discussions and updates in the news right now, the bipartisan proposal had proposed giving NSF over $100 billion over five years in funding. For context, their existing budget was $8 million. The act had also focused on 10 broad, periodically refreshed focus areas, including AI machine learning, high-performance computing, semiconductors, quantum computing, robotics, automation, advanced manufacturing, disaster prevention, genomics and synthetic biology, cybersecurity and data management, and material science and engineering. The act had also proposed rebranding the National Science Foundation into the National Science and Technology Foundation, which we discuss at the beginning of this episode. My expert guest is A6NZ general partner Martin Casado, who has worked the full spectrum from academia to research lab to startup to big company. And in fact, we both did another podcast with the former president of Stanford University with Mark Andreessen as well on the changing relationship between academia and industry, which you can find at a6nz.com slash research to startup. But we begin this conversation with Martin answering my question of what he makes of the rebranding from just science to science and technology. So I am strongly in favor of increased funding for science. Science is uncovering a fundamental truth about the universe. And when you set out to do it, you don't know what you're going to find. And then you find something, it changes our perception of the universe. Not really sure what you're going to do with that. Maybe you do know what you're going to do with it, but that is the motion. Where engineering is you actually know what the outcome is. And then you apply known techniques to get there. So it's a far more deterministic problem. It's something that we as a civilization have reigned in over the millennia. What I don't know is the significance of including the term technology. And in my experience, core ideas come actually fairly often, but being able to implement them is the brunt of the work. And so there is more of an effort to fund kind of actual implementation to utility. I think this is a huge plus. To your point about needing more of the quote, engineering side of things. They don't quite literally say that to my understanding in their proposal. But what is interesting is they do draw parallels that NSF could operate more like DARPA, which itself does have a more deadline-based model, much more tangible, making things more concrete. I remember working with a number of Xerox Park scientists when they had DARPA grants that every poster would have this quadrant showing the implementation, various specific things 
things that you had to show. So it does seem like they're trying to reach in that direction. My question for you then is, is there a tension when you add that engineering kind of component or requirement? Does it then undo your ability to do core foundational research? So I think that this is the core issue with all of this. So I've done core, core, like, you know, science at Lawrence Livermore that was focused in an area that only the government really cared about. I've also done a PhD at Stanford where we were working on something in an applied area, which is computer networks, but we wanted to take an entirely fresh approach to it. So that was less core science and it was more, can we do something applied that's meaningful? But we were in a bit of an ivory tower and so we got to rethink things. That became software-defined networking. Then I've also done the, okay, let's take an idea and do a startup around that idea and make it practical. And as part of a large company, I've done, can you innovate and do something new? And in my experience, all of those are entirely different exercises and endeavors. And to try and tie them is a huge mistake. I would say that these are very different motions. You should have the scientists do the science. You should have core architects taking science and trying it out in business context. And then you should have business builders build businesses. The problem, of course, is the disconnect that then occurs. Because as you know, the traditional model that also doesn't work is where you have pure ivory tower folks come up with things that are so decoupled from the engineering implementation side. And then you have engineering implementation folks who are so decoupled The problem is I don't feel like there's actually a dotted line between science and monetization. So often, companies invest in these research centers to do all this great research, but they have no idea of how they can take that into the organization. Maybe it's worth drilling down a little bit more in just companies doing research because we've seen a whole bunch of these, right? Like the research parks, the TJ Watsons, the AT&T Bell Labs, and the Microsoft Research. They still exist. They feel very anachronistic where you like hire PhDs and they write papers and they kind of do their own thing. The next level is let a thousand flowers bloom. You can go off and do some very bizarre things. And this is kind of more like the Google approach. Like many companies, are, oh, you can do a hackathon. We'll give you like a week, a month to do something new. And like they've got like these internal things. Those actually tend to produce very little. And then you have one more level where there are companies that as a company make these very focused bets that have support from the CEO on down that absolutely transforms companies. And in this, you could include AWS from Amazon. There's these few examples that created billion-dollar or multi-billion-dollar businesses. And these, in almost every case, did not look like research, did not look like these kind of let a thousand flowers brooms, but they're very focused business objectives. There's a number of components that you have to have if you want to do this. The executives have to support it. There's very, very few things that you work on. You can't do a bunch of these. I think the people that staff them must come from product teams. And then you need ring fence resources that aren't fungible, that can't go back on older projects. And you need to keep the white blood cells away. So you mentioned white blood cells, so the immune system of the company doesn't attack it. Classic innovator's dilemma. And in fact, that's supported by research. The most successful ones were the ones that were kept separate to do their own thing. On the flip side, there's also this trend of companies will set up these corporate venturing arms and sidebar vehicles. That's a recipe for failure, yeah. Exactly. (laughs) So where do you really fall on this idea of how isolated to be and how not isolated to be? Because we don't want to be a sidebar, but nor do you want to have the immune system reject the thing. Yeah. So I think that the creation 
the resource allocation, the strategic direction, the business plan should come from the absolute top centrally. And then once that's off and going, then you need to protect it. These kind of incubate CTO lab, whatever is the opposite. So what I'm really hearing there, if I were to oversimplify it, Within companies, bottom-up innovation doesn't really ever work. It has to be sort of top-down, bought-in, proposed, supported. But within the broader world, going back to your let a thousand experiments bloom, bottom-up innovation is what you want. Exactly. So exactly. When it comes to finding practical products in market based on research, there's no way you can be startups. I mean, it's the most efficient, impressive Darwinistic system. I've I was about to say, it's very Darwinian. I love it. The amount of just chaos and effort and energy and trial. And it's all brownie in motion because, I mean, how often does a startup pivot? Two or three times. So not only are they popping up all the time, that they're moving and mutating and everything. Okay, so going back to the news, the National Science Foundation, if it does adopt this sort of DARPA-like model, it'll probably bring in sort of program managers. One thing I'm very curious about is when you said you need a product person in the room, why that person? Why not any other profile of an engineer or a scientist? Yeah, so what I was referring to there is, and this is in the context of a company, is who do you ask to come up with the next innovative endeavor? Do you ask the new PhD academic that you hired? Or do you ask the grizzled veteran that's been like hacking product and shipping product for the last five years? Often the intuition of these big companies is we've got all these PhD researchers, they think big thoughts. I think that you ask the person that's been piped into the product, here is the issue. It's too difficult to come up with something if you have no accountability. It's fine for you to do core science and improve the breadth of like human knowledge. That is legit. It is also legit to take some idea and try and monetize it. That is legit. I do not think it's legit to say your job is to think of stuff that somebody else can monetize. And so the expectation should be very different. If you sign up for a science project and you come up with nothing, I think that's fine. If you sign up to an engineering task, if you don't finish it, you should be fired. Right. So one opportunity that's in these NSF grants, because some people have critiqued this bill as being sort of an offset for private research. But in fact, I think of it as a superpower where if you let those institutions and universities do the type of cross-disciplinary, basic, pure research that companies cannot, then the companies can, to your point, really take it and go to the next level. Now, what's your bottom line? The NSF funding allows people to go out, take big risks, do big science, think large. The mistake is, is when we believe that can happen within a business context, I think it has to be government funding. I don't think we should force science to be businesses, and I don't think we should force businesses to be research institutes. Well, thank you for joining this segment, Martine. This was great. 